0: Welcome to our podcast, Learning is Disruptible. Together, we will explore the intersection of disruptive innovation and education. When we say disruptible, we're not talking about the disruptive student who's causing chaos in the classroom. We're talking about the need, potential, and path for pursuing change.
1: Disruptive innovation is a business theory referring to when a new product or service competes with something offered by a larger, more established business and eventually replaces it.
0: The typical education system is so vast that it's almost impossible to change without starting something much smaller. Home schools, micro schools, and co-ops provide many opportunities to approach learning differently because each student can have customized learning experiences.
1: The world has and is changing drastically, yet our public education system has not. We hope to add to the conversation regarding a need for change, a need for disruption in the world of education. It's time to disrupt what you thought you knew about learning. This week, we're interviewing Madeline Braden and Amber Brown, the founders of Barefoot University. Both Madeline and Amber are homeschooling moms who started with a desire to build a community of friends while also helping their kids connect with nature. They now run a forest school that encourages child led experiences, play, and outdoor hands on learning. They are champions for child led outdoor exploration, risky play, and nature-based skills. These are all principles that I get fired up about as well, so I'm really excited to share this discussion with you. Madeline, Amber, welcome to the Learning is Disruptible podcast. We're so excited to have you and to introduce you to our audience today. I don't know if one or both of you want to take just a minute to introduce yourselves and, and Barefoot University.
2: Sure. Do you want to go first? Okay. Do you want me to go first? No, it doesn't matter. I'll
3: go Go ahead. ahead. Okay. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> um, I'm Amber Brown. I am one of the founders of Barefoot. Madeline and I got into this crazy mess in 2019. Um when Barefoot started. We started in Keller, Texas. And currently we um are in 12 states and we have over 70 Barefoot groups. Uh, And we just started it basically as a way to get our kids with other kids that love nature and have fun outside doing activities to explore nature and meet other families. So here we are.
1: I was thinking about your group because I know that you guys have grown so quickly. And when you started it, you probably had no idea that you would have groups in over 12 states. And so I think just the similarities, though, to families who choose a non-traditional education route. When we start, we don't really know what we're doing or where it's heading, but we can look back and say, wow, like, look what we've done. This is, this is great. And this is a, a great thing. Madeline, is there anything else you want to add?
2: I Well, I can add to that for sure. We definitely didn't anticipate this growing into what it was, but I think that it really just goes to show you the homeschooling climate that is out there right now and people wanting to get their kids outside and back into nature and seeing the benefits of that. When we started, we just it was just us. And we were like, either this is gonna work or it's just gonna be us out in the woods with our kids.
3: <laughs> well, and we were just starting it to start one group. We weren't starting it to do a whole thing.
2: Like, but it just kind of definitely goes to show where people are at right now and what they are wanting for their children's education.
0: That's awesome just to introduce people a little bit more in detail to to the idea of what y'all do, how do you even define a forest school and what makes it look different than what we usually think about as education?
3: Okay, so the forest school model was started in the UK. It is a philosophy that it's pretty well known there. It's It's kind of just now coming to the U.S., but it focuses on the holistic health of the child. So it's not just about, like, you know, learning what schools say we should learn, but about becoming well-rounded in our health, like physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, in nature. Obviously, there's so many studies that, you know, back up the claims that nature provides all of that. But also a very child-led way of learning And it includes things like risk play. We do fires and knives and tools and things like that. So practical, like life skills that the kids need. Um, But allowing them to do that in a controlled environment, you know, where parents are present and they can do it safely and they get used to doing things like that. Um, Climbing trees, crossing creeks, you know, all of the risk (laughs) that we take by playing outside, but it includes a lot of play and it's very child led. We've grown a lot and, You know, all of our groups are a little bit different, but that is the basic foundation of Forest School.
1: Our podcast has a focus on innovation as a solution to many of the problems that education has these days. And some innovative ideas are totally new, but more, I think, are remixing older things in a new way. And so I feel like that's true for Forest Schools, for Barefoot University. It's like going back to the way people used to live and and interact with nature but what sources and experiences have helped you to develop your learning philosophy at Barefoot University?
2: I think a lot of it, and I can probably speak for Amber and myself, a lot of it is trial and error, seeing what works, seeing what works with our kids, seeing what works in our personal groups that we lead, because both Amber and I lead groups on our own. So we're both leaders, seeing what works in our groups and taking that back to each other and going, okay, this worked, this didn't work, you know, maybe we need to rethink how we're doing this. Um, A lot of trial and error and just really getting out there and seeing what the kids want, where they're at in their learning journey.
1: That makes me, pops up another question I have, I guess, is what's the age range of kids in these groups? I'm sure it varies from group to group, but do you see the full range of ages or does it focus in on one particular age?
3: I mean, we're K through 12, and there is definitely a bigger, like, middle school crowd, probably like 10 to 13 is a pretty common age, 9 to 13, somewhere in there, Um, but we do have kids of all ages. The oldest child in my group is 16. Um, I know a lot of other groups. We had a girl in my group that graduated two years ago, so we had, you know, seniors as well, so, and then, of course. Tons of kindergartners. But, yeah, overall, it, it does vary from group to group. Some groups tend to have, like, an older crowd. Some groups tend to have a younger crowd. And then, I don't know, my, I feel like my group has a good mix of both. So, it's really different. But we are open to all school-aged children. And their younger siblings attend, too. So, we do get a lot of, you know, preschoolers and toddlers and babies that are tagging along.
0: They, they tend to become the mascots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Just to learn a little bit about you, I was reading one of your blog posts a little over a year ago. You wrote about some of your early worries about kids missing out on the typical experiences. And then you had a list of all the things they won't miss out on, like outdoor experiences and reading great literature together and the slower paced life that you've intentionally chosen. And I was struck that part of your curriculum is a set of experiences that might have been more common 50 years ago. What benefits do you find by pursuing a life that intentionally bypasses parts of modern culture and technology?
2: Man, what a, what a question.
3: <laughs> that blog, blog post was actually written by one of our leaders. And okay. Yeah, she's a North Richland Hill leader and she writes some of our blog posts and she's amazing. Yeah. So I just want to print that out. It wasn't Madeline and I. Was-
0: okay. I, I guess I didn't do enough
1: homework.
3: No, it's on
2: okay. It. I just don't want to take credit for her amazing article. <laughs> and we absolutely, absolutely agree with everything that she writes all the time. She is really good. I think that when we first started this, our goal and Amber and I's goal was to be able to raise our children freely in a way that they can explore and learn at their own pace and meet them where they are. We aren't really able to do that in traditional school. I mean, as homeschoolers, we all know that. We, we can't really meet our kids where they are if they're not with us and if they're in a public school setting and starting this and meeting them where they are and seeing them learn out in nature and seeing them learn the way that a lot of us learned, in a slower pace, not rushed, not standardized test environment is the goal. We are making free thinkers who are able to think outside the box, who are able to <laughs> do different things.
3: They're in a tree right now. I don't know if you guys can see this, but
2: my oh, kids gosh. are in a tree right now. So We're able to produce out-of-the-box thinkers by giving them the time and the space to learn the way that they learn best.
3: We have a lot of a wide range of families in Barefoot. Obviously, we have, you know, tons of families. And so they all school a little bit different. And we have some that are very traditional and try to follow more of like a public school type of setting at home. And then we have, you know, the opposite end of the spectrum is like unschoolers. And then we have everything in between. And so I think that. It is just really great for the kids that do do a lot of book work and have to sit down because they really need that outdoor time. Um, and like more so than maybe some of the kids that have a little bit more freedom to, you know, or a little bit more freedom in what they're learning and how they're learning. But as far as like technology and stuff, like personally, Madeline and I both, neither one of us really give our kids a lot of technology access. And so, you know, when my kids are bored, they go outside and play, but they've been raised in forest school. They've been raised, it's kind of more than a one day a week thing for our family. It's a lifestyle. It's not that, that way for all of the families in Barefoot. So some of them, you know, do a lot of technology and that's okay too. You know, we want, that's part of our program. It's kind of like our little motto, like an official motto is we tell families, like, do what's best for your family. And so, you know, that plays out not just on that one day a week at forest school, but, like, the rest of the week, too. Like, what's working for one homeschool family doesn't work for the others. But, personally, I love, you know, these – you said older skills and things that, you know, kids – haven't really done much of the last 50 years I was looking at pictures the other day some old pictures in a museum and it was there was like pictures of kids playing in their neighborhood and like those old bikes with banana seats and things like that and it just made me sad because we live in a huge neighborhood with tons of kids but we don't really my kids are the only kids that are always outside and so I'm glad that my kids have that and it makes me really sad for the kids that don't have it yeah
1: and I think there's a beauty like you guys are talking about of having that wide range of of parents of kids and families all coming together with that commonality of wanting to be outside and wanting to have that experience. And our kids are probably a lot like your kids, like out, being outside is just how we do things. And we're also like you were, man, there's lots of houses around here. Where are all the kids? But I think if we have groups like yours, like Fairfoot university that are bringing people outside And maybe those families that this is the one day a week that they really get outside, they get to start to have a taste of that. They learn from these other moms and hopefully that grows and that becomes something more. And those kids, you know, grow up to have those memories of of those times that they had outside.
2: That is very much so our goal. And really to touch on something that you said we are extremely family oriented. It's not just moms that we have in our groups. We have dads, we have grandparents, we have aunts and uncles that bring kids. We invite families to attend. Grandparents Day in our groups is coming up in November. And so we invite people to, you know, bring their grandparents with them. But we are really trying to get not just the kids outside, but parents and whole family experiences to be outside and in nature and see what there is out there and what it has to offer because it doesn't just change your kids it changes you too you want to get outside more you like being outside and so you're able to take that and run with it with the rest of your family as well
1: we have a group that we get together with once a week in a forest school type setting and one of the things that we found is the challenge of engaging the parents because like you we feel like These parents need to be outside and need to be having these experiences just as much, if not more, than their kids. And so I don't know, do you have anything to say to that or any tips or tricks or things you found that work well for engaging the adults so they're not just, you know, off on the skirts of the activities while the
3: kids do their thing? So our leaders facilitate. They don't teach. Parents are responsible for the education of their children. So that was their choice when they became homeschoolers, right? And so we carry that out at Forest School. So they do the activity with their kids. Our leaders are just there to facilitate the activity and offer support and instructions and hand out supplies and things like that. And once again, a lot of our activities are based around play and or, you know, things that do require parental supervision, like whittling or using a drill or something like that, but also just like the more sciencey type activities do need parents close by to offer support, especially to younger kids. And so they're there and they kind of handle that themselves just naturally because of the way our groups are set up to where like the leaders aren't standing in front of a crowd teaching a lesson about what the kids are going to learn.
0: That sounds really good because it aligns with some of the things that researchers will say is that the one-on-one instruction is far more effective for helping a child to, to, to really make progress. And when the parent is there shoulder to shoulder with their kid, often learning with them, it's gotta make just a huge difference.
2: I think it really does in the, the child's learning, but then also the parent's learning. I will give you a really good example. Last year we did natural cordage And we made natural cordage out of uh, plants and grasses that we found outside. And I am not good at that (laughs) at all. But there were parents in my group that really got into it, that were really, really good at making natural cordage. And so it's not only learning from your specific parent, but learning from another parent or several other parents. Someone in your group is going to have your learning style will be their teaching style. And so it may be one parent that is like, okay, this is how I do it. And then another parent that's next to him that's like, whoa, I didn't do mine like that, but this is how I do it. But the kid's going to benefit, your child's going to benefit from seeing both of those things play out and which one works better for them. So it's very one room schoolhouse on stuff.
1: That's great. Would you mind telling us just a little bit more about your curriculum? What a day at Barefoot University looks like?
3: Sure. So This year we are focusing on water. We have five different rhythms that we cycle through and they're after all of the elements. And then we have like a rhythm barefoot. So this year is rhythm water. We are learning about water and we always, we, we break our year up into three 12 week cycles. And the first 12 weeks, no matter what the rhythm is, is kind of the basics. So right now we're like learning the basics about water. We walk through You know, water safety, and we're doing things like buoyancy and water resistance and um, rainbows and rain. And what else have we done? The water cycle, yeah, erosion. And then we will move into hydrology and environment. And then the last 12 weeks, we will be learning about aquatic life, so plants and animals that live in the water. So, last, what did we do last week? (laughs) I've slept since Monday. (laughs) We did buoyancy and the kids were able we actually at my group so every group like has we all do the same activities on the same week but the leaders have flexibility to add in like a guest speaker or go on a field trip things like that um in addition to the activity so last week at my group we actually had a guest speaker um from knoxville utility board and they came and talked to the kids about Uh, water testing which is what we did the week before and they went through like water treatment processes and things like that and so we got to look at a lot of bugs and water bugs and things like that under the microscope and we did some water testing experiments with them and then we moved on to our regular activity which was building nature we made boats to float in the river that's at our park so all the all the groups made nature rafts And the kids just kind of have the freedom to do it however they want. They can pick things out of nature and they made a raft to float in the river and it was fun and we tested density and buoyancy with that. But we always, for Rhythm Water, we're starting our opening activity every single week for all the groups is nature journaling. So the kids are learning the art of nature journaling through watercolor. And um, so they spend probably like the first 20 or 30 minutes nature journaling in their sit spot before we actually corral everybody to hike to a second location to do our main activity. That's what it would normally look like without a guest speaker. Madeline's day looked different though, because, and we both meet on Mondays, (laughs) but we did the same activity, but she did other stuff too this week. And some groups will just do the water coloring and then the main activity. But like I said, every once in a while, somebody will have like a guest speaker or something pop in
2: to add to the lesson. We really try and make it flexible Some Amber is in Tennessee and I am in North Texas, and we have groups in Connecticut and we have one opening in New York and we are in Florida. So it really, we try and give a good foundation, but we, what I am experiencing in my weather here in DFW is completely different than what Amber is doing and is completely different than what's happening in Connecticut. So we try and give a good foundation that the leaders. Of the group who know their members who know the age ranges can kind of meet their group where they are and do the things that you know have to do with their part of the united states our abilene group which is obviously very dry is going to be completely different than one of our florida groups that meets outside of a spring so
3: in fact i did nature rafts and i go to africa every year to an orphanage, and I did nature rafts. I did like a forest school thing there last year, and um, the nature rafts that they made were totally different than the ones our kids made. Like they made these giant like rafts that like three kids could get on, and then our kids, we don't give them instructions really, just you know the idea. And so our kids at our park made these like tiny little, like you would use in a bathtub or something. And there was one boy that made a little bit bigger one, but it's funny how even. Just where you live can affect, like, the idea of an HROF. So,
0: how do you address skepticism or resistance from people who kind of have a, a firmer attachment to what we think of as schooling? I can imagine a parent or an educator saying, Well, but do they actually learn anything? So, how, how might you address that kind of uh, resistance that could happen?
3: Personally, just not you know, on the forest school platform, but other things throughout my life. For me personally, it's just about education and equipping parents to kind of view things differently. So I take that approach when it comes to barefoot, of course. So we really just try to educate uh, the general public and our members on, you know, hey, it doesn't always look like they're learning, but here's what they're actually learning when you see them climbing a tree or, You know, when they're trying to figure out how to get across the creek, it it looks like they're playing and splashing and getting dirty, but this is like what they're actually learning. So just trying to educate the parents that are already in the group and then the general public, of course, about the freedom to play and what that can actually add to a child's life. So we do try to educate. And then I just pointed out to a lot. We do get that question a lot. And then, you know, it's not for everybody. So we get families that maybe do it for like a year or so. And then they're like, okay, my kid's not really getting anything out of this. Where actually maybe they are. The parents just don't notice it.
2: I don't know. Do you have a better answer, Madeline? I was going to say that, no, I think that that was great. But I was just going to add, it's the same skepticism that all of us get as homeschoolers you know, like, why are you doing this? Are your kids really learning? Are you a good teacher? We're all getting that skepticism anyways. And so on top of that, adding nature into the bunch and letting kids play outside, it's the same skepticism. So I just kind of meet it head on where it's at. Amber and I have been... People were skeptical when we first started. They are skeptical. They're still skeptical. Like we meet pushback, you know, left and right, all over the place.
3: Or like they're they're thinking like, oh, this is like them playing outside. That's mm-hmm. wasted time. It's just it's not wasted time. They just don't know yet.
2: And really, what we tell people, I mean, a lot of the time is like, I wish that you could just see if you could just come and see, see what they're learning, see how they're learning. That's going to change people's minds, I feel like. And it's just like
3: anything else, you know, you get out of it what you put into it. So if you're there every single week and you're really embracing this philosophy and you're there with your child, ready to do the activity and ready to explore with your children, um, you're going to get more out of it
2: than, you know, the people that pop in like once a month. Making it a priority. Making being outside a priority.
0: How does... Or are there any opportunities where Barefoot University collaborates with other organizations or schools? Is there anything that y'all do to, to connect with other other groups?
3: And Amber, it sounded like you were doing that in the orphanage in Africa. Yeah, and Madeline's actually going to go with me next spring. That's the plan, at least. And we've invited some other leaders. So we're planning to go do like a for-school VBS type of thing in Kenya. And so hopefully we that works out and we all get to do that, but Yeah, we are part of the VILA network, and so we have talked to other micro schools and nature schools and things like that, people that are kind of doing some untraditional type learning things and collaborated ideas and discussed different learning methods and things like that with them. We do get a lot of requests from public schools. That is not something we've been able to figure out how to get into yet but it's on our radar so we'll see right now we're just pouring into our own and trying to get homeschoolers you know the best (laughs) that we can do for them but you know we have plans to do
2: other things (laughs) always so many plans
1: (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't supposed to be a big thing but now it is a big thing right
2: man so much
1: (laughs) talking to this growth that you guys have seen what's been the most significant challenge that you guys have faced since since you started
3: so we're a um, 100% volunteer-led, and we are in a really good spot right now with that whole system. But, you know, trying to figure out, like, okay, who can be a leader? Can they, can they make this group, you know, our vision? And working all of the kinks out with that as we've grown because we grew really fast a few years ago. We had a big jump. And so now we've got all of that nailed down pretty good. We know exactly like who we're looking for and what we're looking for in volunteers. We've gotten pretty picky. So that was that was a thing. <laughs> and then just, you know, fine tuning. We uh like our leaders are all really pretty smart and they will tell us like hey this isn't working. Like you guys need to do a better job at this and we just being able to welcome that feedback like good or bad because we want to do the best for the leaders. Like we want to make sure that they're equipped to pour into their families. Um, And then, of course, you know, we want to do the best for the families that are enrolled in BareFit. And so just being open to changing things,
2: especially as we've grown. Um, So that's been a big part of the last two years. I think really just laying the foundation of starting something that we couldn't, there wasn't any sort of like stencil or (laughs) outline or anything for us starting this and there wasn't really anything else out there that we could base what we were doing off of we're not really a scouts group we're not really like a boy scout situation we are uh, not like a trail life or american heritage girls but we're something that is kind of in between a homeschool co-op and a four school group and so laying out some sort of a foundation to get us to where we are now that was easily buildable and just trying to figure out exactly how to do that is was probably the biggest challenge with the massive amount of growth that was happening at the exact same time but now we' we've, we've gotten it pretty streamlined. <laughs> I will say that it's been a little bit of a challenge with
3: our members like wanting a bunch of supplies and things like that. And Madeline and I like really struggle with that because we want to give people what they want that are in our program so that they keep coming back so that their kids will be outside. So they'll be outside. So they'll learn in this way. And but we are we are like, you know, the supplies should come from nature, like nature's the supply. Like we can get everything we need from nature, but they want things. And so that's been a little bit of a struggle with us to find that balance that we're not like feeling totally overwhelmed with all of this other stuff. And then just making sure that we're, you know, we are very low cost. So our average family spends about $105, you know, to $130 a year, depending on the size of their family. So it's like, you know, less than $3 a week that they're getting 36 weeks of activities and the supplies and the nature book journal and the color pencils and, you know, all the things this year, we like some of our bigger supplies were aquariums and water trays for all the kids, bug nets for all the kids, what else? Prisms. We had some really cool big supplies this year. So, you know, in addition to the smaller ones, but trying to just like financially navigate all of that because we want to maintain our low cost and we want to be able to give people some cool things. So budgeting and working on a shoestring budget and all of that (laughs) has been a challenge as well. So, if anybody wants to donate, <laughs> there's our flag. And you guys are a nonprofit organization, that's
2: right. Yes. It's really important for us that we do keep things low cost. When we did first start this, Amber has four children, I only have one. And so we really thought out most homeschooling families are single income families because someone is staying home to teach the children. Lots of them have multiple children. And so for you to be involved in something that everyone can go to together can be upwards of $500 to $1,000 a year. And a lot of homeschooling families can't afford that. They just can't. And so it was really important for us to make something that they could afford, that they could all go do together, that is really low key and once a week and optional, and keeping our costs low so that we can still do that with the rising costs of everything else is probably Amber's right. It's probably our biggest challenge that we're facing right now.
1: How has founding and working with your barefoot university group changed your personal perspective on education?
3: I feel like we kind of had this perspective and that's why we started barefoot. So it's probably the reverse. (laughs) How has our personal views affected barefoot? (laughs) But I don't know. I mean, like, it has really just encouraged us to live this out more, probably. We are all weather, and so we meet outside when it's cold and when it's rainy, and... Uh, when things are less than perfect and that is just a really great foundation for the rest of our lives. Like you're gonna have those rainy days and you still gotta get up and you still have things to do and we're, we have these plans. we're gonna we work, we're committed to this. we're still gonna show up and do our thing. we're just gonna prepare better. So like those two things, because there's days, I mean, I'm the founder and I lead my own group, but there are days when I wake up and it's cold and I just want to sit in front of the fire and drink my coffee and I don't want to go outside in the rain at four school and be around, you know, 30 other families. So there's days where I feel like that, you know, but I like have this commitment, so I have to go. And, you know, I'm sure all of our leaders feel like that too. And I know we have families that feel like that because what it is less than perfect, they don't show up in as big of groups, you know, just – Like, showing my kids that, like, we have this commitment. We're going to still show up, and we're still going to go. And then guess what? When we get there, we have, like, the most amazing time, even though it's rainy and cold. And it's, like, magic because the kids don't get to experience that every week. And um, they're still doing the activity, and they're still learning, and they're still getting their outside time. And they have some really great memories now of being outside on a (laughs) 32-degree day when it's pouring rain. And we still did this amazing hike, and we saw all this cool erosion, you know. So, I guess that is probably one of the ways. I've had the same experience as
1: you. When we get out on those those ugly weather days, those are like some of our favorite days. It, it, is, yeah. it is magic. I don't know what it is about it.
3: Nobody believes you yeah. until they experience it. We tell people all the time... And so like usually with barefoot, like we do have like a drop in the attendance, like over the winter, people will be like a little less consistent, probably because of that. And then it picks back up and then we're really, you know, like everybody comes at the beginning and then in the winter it drops a little bit and then everybody comes in the spring again. But those families that come like all year long, they're the ones seeing the most benefit. And actually this year we've had a little bit less of a drop the colder it's gotten so far. We're kind of like, whoa, what's happening? Like they're getting used to being outside or like maybe the message is spreading I don't know, but it's been really cool
0: to see. One of our experiences in a national park, we were at uh, Mammoth Cave.
1: She
0: Mammoth Cave, so mm-hmm. already knows which one I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. The, the day we showed up, it was raining buckets. And the original campsite we picked was at the bottom of the hill and there was a river going through it, basically. So we moved to the top hill. of the hill and built our campfire and cooked in the rain and we're leaning over the food so we don't get rain in the food, and it was, it was awesome.
1: <laughs> Yay! We one of our favorite favorite camping experiences as a family in the pouring rain. <laughs>
0: and it was delicious too. I mean,
1: <laughs> what did you make? We had like a tin bowl dinner with little sausages and
3: potatoes and yummy
0: barbecue sauce, and
3: yeah,
0: <laughs> it was good. So one of the questions that I really love to ask is, how do you know? that it's working. In the traditional school settings, there's tests and different things that are really easy to measure. I don't think education is actually very easy to measure. I mean, there's can you do a derivative in calculus? Like, okay, you can measure that. But real, real education, I think, is a lot harder to measure. So how do you know that it's working for the for the kids and the families that, that participate. How do, you, how do you measure success? Do you have any, any thoughts on that?
2: Okay. I think that one of the biggest ways that we do that is our retention with families coming back year after year. But as far as actually measuring what the kids are learning and the success of that, we have people, I have members in my group that have been in Forest School for the past four years. And have been through the cycles and have learned the things. And those children are now 10, 11 years old, 12 years old, and they are taking their skills that they learned three or four years ago and are teaching these younger kindergartners who are like five, six, you know, how to whittle. Or if we're making a raft, you know, let me go get my whittling kit. We can whittle some of those things down. And we learned whittling last year. Or, you know, like, what is this lichen on this tree? Oh, well, I know what that lichen is. Let me tell you all about this lichen. And we learned lichen two years ago. So it's seeing those in-person interactions with these older children, interacting with younger children and being able to teach them what they've learned over the past couple of years. I, we know that it's sticking. You know, it might not all stick, but at least some of it, some of it in there is sticking and sticking around. And just from my own experience with my child and Amber's children, being around them, the growth that we have seen from the beginning to now, the fearlessness, the love of nature, was probably always there. But what they were doing when they were five and the way that they were playing outside when they were five is not the way that they're playing outside now that they're nineteen years old for sure.
3: Yeah. And to really develop a love for something, you got to be around it, right? Like all the time. And so, yeah, I've really seen that develop, especially in my youngest who isn't like all about nature, <laughs> like Ken Lee is. So yeah, I agree with that. That's really good. And then we've also had like a lot of parents that just reach out to us and tell us, uh, mm-hmm. this is like the best part of our week. Oh man, I didn't realize how much we needed this. It's, you know, change the way we view education, or it is just really giving my kid an opportunity to be creative. And we have a lot of families with kids that have disabilities, and and so it's been really good for those families, too. We hear that a lot. Unfortunately, some of the feedback we've gotten is that, you know, not all all homeschool groups are open to families with disability. Not Mm -hmm. all homeschool groups are open to dads or other families visiting or other family members visiting. Um, And so we hear things like that. And so just the feedback we're getting from the families, like, you know, having dad present at a co-op, like this is the first time we've been able to do that. And it's just really helped like the family dynamic in our homeschooling journey or, you know, my child who is on the spectrum isn't, you know, comfortable in other groups, but in this outdoor setting where they can run and play and get dirty, like it's really good for them and it's been really helpful. So we hear families tell us things like that all the time. So that's another way we know it's working.
0: That's awesome. That's I love
3: great.
1: it. Just again, thank you so much for coming and sharing your philosophy, your experiences with our, with our audience. Is there anything just in closing that we haven't touched on or any final thoughts that either one of you have?
2: I think that we underestimate how important being in nature is for not only children, but adults as well. And if Amber and I can get a handful of families outside every week into that environment, then we will have done what we set out to do. We didn't set out to grow this giant monstrosity of a thing. We set out to get kids outside. And at the end of the day, our main goal is getting them outside into nature. So if we can do that and we can get kids outside into nature each week, then we will have met what we started out needing to do and wanting to do.
0: Thanks, everybody, for listening today to the Learning is Disruptible podcast. Be sure to share the episode with a friend, subscribe to the show, and leave us a five-star review. Have a great day.